Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, episode 92. This week's feature, Top 10 Games Fixed by Expansion. We'd like to thank our Patreon backer, Brian Scott, for bringing everyone to the table this week. You're listening to a proud member of the Dice Tower Network, dedicated to bringing podcasters together for the greater good of gaming. It's sort of like Voltron, but with better lip syncing. Find out more at Dicetowernetwork.com. Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, the podcast about board gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together. This is Chris. This is Anthony. And this is Drew. Welcome to the episode, everyone. We're so glad to have Brian Scott, one of our Patreon backers, to join us here this week. Welcome, Brian. Oh, I, I, I guess Brian's not with us this week. Um, you, you said he was going to join us. You said all our Patreon backers were going to be here. Yeah, well, Jamie was here last week. What the heck, man? Uh, yeah, all right. My bad. Well, um... Well, I guess Brian's not here, so definitely Jamie Stegmeyer, the president of Stonemeyer Games, is probably here then, right? Hey, Jamie, welcome to the episode. Uh, he might be a little busy. Oh, come on. What else does he have to do this week? Well, I'll tell you. <laughs> might as well uh, climb up on the tabletop and, and fill you in. Shout it from the tabletops. <laughs> Sir, you're going to need to get down from there. Well, let me climb up on the tabletop and see from here. Yes, I can see Scythe from here. Jamie has his Kickstarter this week to launch Scythe. It has already, as we speak, uh, raised $900,000, which is, uh, let's see, compared to his original goal, I think he just went over his original goal by, I think, $850,000 some. <laughs> It amuses me when I see these modest uh, initial goals. I think Jamie's was, what, 33000 Passed it a long time ago. So a good start. Jump in there whenever you can. There's a lot more stretch goals that have been knocking off every day, it seems. So moving on to uh, something we probably didn't know already. Did any of you guys catch last week's episode of Drunk History? I sent a, a link out to it. You can actually watch it online. It was a special I – mean, even if you don't drink, it can be funny – it was a special episode related to, to games. And when I say even if you don't drink, you, you can really benefit by it. There's a lot of good history in the Drunk History shows. They had an episode on Bobby Fischer and uh, his uh, rise to uh, the world championship. But I thought the most interesting thing was the segment on Milton Bradley. And if you if you got through all the slurring and stumbling of the uh, narrator and the the great acting from the from the comedians who were involved, you learned some very important history. That Milton Bradley started out made his first bit of money by selling photographs of Lincoln, and when Lincoln grew his beard, all his photographs were beep, worth nothing. So he had to go a different direction, and he went into games, published the Game of Life. Yes, the game of life that we know nowadays got its start back in the 1860s. A lot of great history in all the comedy. So it's, it's a great show. It's still online, and we will provide a link in the show notes so that if you missed it, you can watch it. Another video that, that you folks might want to watch comes from Vice and their website, vice.com. If you've been watching their HBO series, 
or even following them on their website, you know they put out some fascinating stuff. They even did a documentary about LARPs, live action role play called LARPing Saved My Life. And it showed how LARPs can be used effectively in education. LARP, you know, is a combination of like Dungeons and Dragons fantasy and cosplay and a little bit of historical reenactments. So you wonder how they can use it in education. Well, Northern Europe is big on LARPing and they've led the way, Denmark especially, with involving LARPs in sometimes historical, teaching historical things. But in America, in the state of Washington, there are there's a school system that's using LARPs to teach some of the students that have learning difficulties. They may have uh, autism. They may have Asperger's. They're developing LARPs that can help them, for example, learn how to use public transportation by creating a, a superhero theme uh, that they can get into. And they have to move around the city using different forms of public transportation to get clues it's fascinating. So I encourage everyone to uh, check out vice.com and their documentary, LARPing Saved My Life. So speaking of Milton Bradley, his memory has now been absorbed into the Hasbro company, all his games. They've been getting a fresh, clean update with modern graphics, but now Hasbro has come out with a retro line, which actually goes back to the original box covers, except for this great big retro on the cover. So wonder is, does the cover really matter? What really matters, I think, is the game that's inside. Modern graphics have changed, but modern gaming has changed. So I'm wondering, guys, maybe in the future, in some of our episodes, we can talk about how we can modernize them, bring some new mechanics to the games, uh, update to Candyland or Careers or Clue or Game of Life. It might be fun to talk about in the future. So really make them up to date. A fascinating discussion, two different discussions on the internet about whether parents should let their children win board games. One of them was uh, a family, a mom, who wrote uh, why I refuse to let my kids win board games. And the very next day, there was an article about a fellow, a champion jockey in Ireland, who very, very clearly said, I won't let my two-year-old son win games. Now, Anthony, what do you? How do you stand on that issue? Uh, I think the guy with the two-year-old is kind of a jerk, um, <laughs> and he's going to raise some kids with some problems. But uh, I don't know. The the thing is, is like with my children, I want them to understand what the rules are. I want them to understand that there are rules and there are systems that they need to follow for certain activities. Um, if you want to make up rules and do whatever you want, there. are Lots of things with which we can do that. There are Legos, there are toys, or whatever you want to do. So a board game has rules. I fudge the rules a little bit because he's four and he can't do everything perfectly. And sometimes he wants to play my games and there's no way that that's fair to him to expect him to understand rules that are written for a 10-year-old. But not letting him win ever, that's, it's just kind of brutal. And it's not that I let him win every time. Uh, it's not even that I throw the game and let him win. It's that I want him to understand the concepts and how everything fits together. And if he doesn't, if you don't see it through from start to finish and see what it could look like, if you don't visualize the success you could have in a game, I feel like you disengage. Like, I disengage. If I get destroyed in a board game, I'm not paying attention anymore. And I think a four-year-old's going to disengage much faster. Uh, yeah, it's if not, they're just it's losing not much really fun, bad. <laughs> Especially if they're aware that they're losing really bad. I disagree um, on not letting them win ever. I think the uh, you should win occasionally because they need to learn how to be good winners and uh, good losers. Um, 
my son does have issues with losing it's, at times, but it's good for him to think about it and realize that he's not going to win every game and that it's, you know, you can't just say I'm the winner and that makes you the winner. There is a uh, back and forth for actually playing up to my potential as a 31-year-old gamer versus a 4-year-old. I can't imagine doing that. That just, it seems like setting him up for failure and probably creating something of a complex. If I want him to play games in the future with me, it's probably not the way to do it. So so what do you think is the best way to approach it, to house rule it so as to, to, to fudge, to change some of the basic rules of the game to make it easier for him to grasp, or find a way to handicap the game, like to give him an initial advantage and then play out the game normally from there? Yeah, I mean, I actually wrote a blog post about this last week, talking about some of the games that we play that are mine, that he likes to play. And he has plenty of his own games, and most of the time that's what we play, because that's what he wants to play, and that's what he's good at, and that's what he understands. Hey, thanks, Anthony. If anybody would know, it would be you. I'm definitely going to check out that blog post, too. And uh, it's almost like you anticipated this. That's pretty cool. That is it for our news that we talked about in our Twitter feed. You want to catch the news almost as it happens? Try subscribing to our Twitter feed at bga podcast where we send out bits of news curiosities and our own brand of fun in games hey guys i gotta get back to my tribe they are in the woods we're larping in the woods behind my house preparing for an assault on our enemies larping is so cool especially if i can just hang out at home while they're preparing to attack it's awesome i love larping i'll see you guys in the final round and now our acquisition disorders Acquisition disorders? That's crazy. Only needs the base game. Nothing else but the base game. The base game and the expansion. See? Nothing else. Just the base game and the expansion and the promos. The base game, the expansion, and the promos, and of course, the upgraded components. Why wouldn't you have the upgraded components? So the base game, the expansion, the promos, and the upgraded So for our acquisitions this week, we want to talk about two games that we really want to hit the table. So Anthony, why don't you start us off? Yeah, definitely. So this game popped up actually as an ad on Board Game Geek. I didn't know it was coming out, but I was pretty excited when I saw it because I have the first game from this designer, Morels, and it's a two-player game about going through the woods and finding mushrooms, which sounds kind of silly, but it's this really quick, fun two-player card game that Margaret and I like to play together. This one is also a relatively quick two-player game, and it's about dog agility contests and Uh, Going out and adopting, you know, stray puppies and training them and doing the agility contests. And it's it's pretty cool. It's pretty obvious that the designer really cares about dogs, has dogs, has always had dogs. There's a lot of attention paid here to that. He's also local here in Pittsburgh. And the reason that I have his first game is that when we visited Pittsburgh last year, one of the game store owners here recommended it to me and I ended up loving it. And so it was kind of just this, you know, coincidence. But now it's kind of cool because... He's local, so I definitely wanted to support it. The game is called Agility. It's on Kickstarter right now, and I think there's about a week left. So you have until the 25th if you're listening to this and decide you want to back it. It's a two-player game. I think with one of the recent updates, it goes up to three or four players. I have no idea how that runs, but it was designed as two players. The designer's name is Brent Povis, and his other game is Morels, like I said. And that one, I think, actually just went into full distribution. So if you are you know, interested in finding that one, it is out there. This game, though, is about... Uh, adopting dogs, and then training them up for different types of agility contests. So every round you're going to be playing a training card, and the training card is going to give you one of two different types of training for the dog, and then an action on the board itself. And the goal then is to clear different obstacles, 
on three different courses you're going to have, and those are drafted at the beginning of the game. Courses are only really available after you've adopted a dog, and some puppies are better for certain courses than others based on their breed and what they're most interested in. So there's a lot of different mechanics there in terms of which dog is going to do better where and what they enjoy, but the whole idea of it just being this very diverse set of different dog breeds, and I like the idea that he focused on these being adopted and not, you know, purebred, raised, and sold, which is very important. And then one cool thing I found just looking through the the backer levels is the designer actually handcrafted wooden dog bowls. And this is actually only at the, I think at the $29 level. So it's only an extra $6 and you get handcrafted wooden dog bowls. And there's pictures on the Kickstarter page of him carving these at his house. So that's kind of cool to me. And then the next level up, he will engrave the name of your dog into one of these bowls, which is very, very cool. I don't, it's not necessary to play the game. I just think it's really cool and it adds another level there. So this is a game, again, on Kickstarter. I'm interested in it. My roommate back in college had a dog who used to, didn't actually like actively compete in these things, but would go to the dog park and run the courses. And I just think it's really cool. So, and I love the first game, Morels. So check it out if it sounds interesting. If you love dogs, if you love dog agility, if you just like two-player games and want something, you know, light and easy and accessible, it's uh, agility. It's on Kickstarter. All right, great. So the acquisition that I really have this week was kind of set off by Daniel's earlier acquisition and my recent pickup on Kickstarter. That was, and then we held hands. Well, I'm still in that mindset, and I'm really looking forward to trying to bring games to the table that might be good for a dating situation or just might bring gamers in who are used to more kind of social interaction, but not necessarily gamer interaction. So what I'm looking at is Fog of Love. Now, this is a 2016 release, and what we're looking at here is somewhat a thematic, somewhat an abstract game in which two people play out a whole relationship from the very first introduction and sparks of interest down to all of the different situations that you'll probably encounter in every relationship. So you have your in-law encounters, you have awkward situations, you have arguments between the people, parties, thoughtful gifts, secret affairs, kids, relationships, marriage, and hopefully it's going to end in a happy ending for everybody. Now, mechanic-wise, what's really interesting about this game is it's got some bluffing. It's basically a card game that is utilizing a small board where you're placing tokens. Now, what I like about this is a secret unit deployment. So you get these cards. They have different abilities on them and different things that you have to match up. And if things don't match up the right way, you're going to lose out on your relationship status And at the same time, you have to watch the careful balance between what you are personally looking for in a relationship that in this game is characterized by the story ending cards that you're trying to reach and the partnership that you're trying to create here. So you're managing your final goals, you're trying to think about what their final goals might be, and third level you're trying to manage just the average everyday interplay between you and that other person so relationships is a great topic for board gaming i'm surprised that it has not reached this level of hobby board gaming but i'm really looking forward to the game it looks great 
it has a little bit of kind of thematic elements like Once Upon a Time where you're trying to reach those final goals. And yet at the same time, it actually has some gameplay. So that is Fog of Love and it'll be brought out by Hush Hush Projects in 2016. That's interesting. And I love me some farming games, but I feel like that's one of those games where you almost think like, wow, this is a thing I don't necessarily enjoy in real life. Dating. Let's make a game out of it. <laughs> well, I, I, I guess in, in both situations, you do have to feed your people, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, man. I guess I get away with saying that because I haven't, you know, I haven't dated in a long time, but uh, I can't imagine. Um <laughs> It's Agricola, the dating game. There you go. (laughs) And now, At the Table with BGA. So for our At the Table this week, we're going to talk about two games that we got to the table or got to the tablet and let you know if those games are a buy and you should run out and pick those games up because they're outstanding. Or if it's just a play, but it really, really deserves your time at the table, or possibly it's a dodge, and you should pretty much avoid this game, or hopefully not a burn. And this game does not belong in our industry and is actually doing more harm than good. All right, Anthony, what do you got for us this week? All right, so this is a game that I backed on Kickstarter several months ago, and it came in... I was actually watching my email very carefully because... It was due to come in in August after we got back from Gen Con, and it kept not getting there and not getting there and not getting there. And it showed up, I think, four days before we moved. If you ever move and you have a bunch of Kickstarters out there, it's terrifying. Because if you decide to move and then move in that period of time when they can't change your address, the game disappears into space. And sometimes it's not a big deal, but in this particular case, it would have been a very big deal, both emotionally and physically, because this game is monstrous. Uh, It's the... uh, Empire's Age of Discovery, the deluxe edition. So the game itself is the re-implementation, not even re-implementation, it's the new deluxe version of Age of Empires 3. It doesn't have the license anymore, but it's the same game that Glenn Drover made way back in 2007, which has been out of print for a really long time. Uh, One of the first uh, worker placement games, and arguably still one of the better ones. And it does some stuff that feels a little dated uh, compared to some newer worker placement games, but it also does a few things that are Still very interesting after all these years. If you have not seen this box yet, it is huge. It is possibly the largest box I have. And when I took it to the game night here in Pittsburgh, people did not want to play because they assumed it was a five-hour game. It is not a five-hour game. It is about a 90-minute game. So it's right on par with most worker placement games. I would almost give it a mid-weight as a Euro. Uh, The box, though, is humongous for a couple of reasons. It is deluxe edition, so you get this really thick, giant board. It also has, I think, 40-some-odd miniatures for every faction, of which there are, I think there's six out of the box, but then you get a bunch of extra ones because you were the Kickstarter backers. So I think there's four or 500 miniatures in the box, um, plus miniature ships, plus the capital building tiles, plus metal coins. Uh, there is a lot of stuff in here. It's very heavy. Um, now, none of this tells you if the game is any good, although if you've played Age of Empires 3, you already have an opinion on it. The game hasn't changed that much. But it is pretty cool to look at. And as far as a Euro goes, you know, thematically, you kind of get into it a little bit more because there's so much going on on the board. The game itself is, it's a worker placement game, like I mentioned. It's got a little bit of area control mixed in. And just the hint of programming in terms of where you place your workers. Because what ends up happening is, 
every player has their own pool of workers. So they have about 20 or 25 individual colonists that are just generic workers. They can do whatever. And then there are specialist workers that you'll be able to upgrade your colonists to by taking a certain action that do certain things. And so you get all those miniatures on your player board to the side of the game. And throughout the game, what you're going to do is at the beginning of each round, there are eight rounds in the game uh, broken up over three segments. And for each of those, you're going to be placing five workers unless you upgrade to get additional workers or play some special action. When you place those workers, they're going to go on several different boxes on the board that are in, you know, downward. You go from top to bottom on the side of the board. There is the colonist dock, which is going to move colonists to the new world. There is the trade goods dock where you can take trade goods that come out at the beginning of every turn. There's the merchant shipping dock. And the the ships here where you can bid on them based on the number of workers you put in the pool um, are act as wild cards for those trade goods. There are capital buildings, which you have to pay for, and they offer upgrades in various ways. Sometimes they give you extra workers. Sometimes they give you extra money. Sometimes they give you extra victory points in the end of the game. They are very, very important, but also very expensive. So that's something you have to kind of manage carefully throughout the game. There is the discovery box, which anybody can go in as many times as they want. But this one is interesting because when you go to discover, you're going to be blindly flipping a tile or a card that will have a certain value on it. You need to have that many workers in the discovery box to be able to defeat that card. And so because you don't know what it's going to be, you kind of need to overload into the discovery box. But if you overload too much, then all those workers come back out and you've used up a lot of extra workers. So there's a little bit of press your luck in there, too. Uh, There's a specialist box where you're going to put your regular workers to upgrade them to things like the captain or the soldier or the missionary. And then there's the warfare box. Now, at first glance, the board looks very much like an area control game where you're going to spend a lot of time fighting other people for territory. It's really not. There is an area control element. You do score three times throughout the game based on who has control of different segments of the board. But you can't really control everything. And you do get points for being second place in different uh, regions. So... It doesn't really behoove you to go around punching people with your guys because it's just going to hurt you. And if your workers come off the board, it's so expensive to put them back on the board. Really, you're going to save that warfare action towards the end of the game when it's strategic for you to kind of make that move and your opponent can't really do it back. So it's there. It looks like it's more important than it is. It's not that important. Player order ends up being extremely important in this game because the... The order in which you go through and resolve all these actions is left to right, top to bottom. So the first person to place on any one of these spaces gets to go first. So for things like trade goods, you get to pick the first trade good. For things like capital buildings, you get to pick the first capital building. For things like the colonist dock, it can fill up. And then there's initiative track at the top where you can jump to the front of the line. But if you jump to the front of the line, you don't get as much money out of that action. It's very, very interesting. The... It's a lot like Dominant Species and the way that track worked. So going up to the front and moving yourself up in the initiative order, it feels like you're burning a turn a little bit, but it's just so important to be early in the initiative track, and it really helps you a lot. As you start moving people to the new world, so you're going to discover different countries. Once they're discovered, you can move colonists there. The first person to have three colonists in any country is going to get the trade good that's there. Trade goods are hard to get because there's only a certain amount out every turn, and they're the only real way you get income. You need to have sets of different trade goods to get income. If you have any three trade goods, I think you get one or two coins per turn. But once you have three of the same kind, you get three. If you have four of the same kind, you get six. It scales very quickly. So you want sets of the same types of trade goods. 
And those merchant ships that I mentioned act as wild cards to those sets. So those are also very important. The discovery action is extremely important. You get a lot of points for this. You'll get a lot of money for this. But it's also very tough and uses up a lot of your workers. And if you go only here, the game's going to get away from you super quickly. That's about it, though. Like, once you have all those basic actions down, you run through the eight rounds. It took an hour, hour and a half with five of us playing, um, about half of those people for the first time. So it was extremely quick, extremely um, engaging. And there are a lot of different ways to play it because of the deluxe version. So you can flip the board over and play the world variant. The expansion comes packed in with the box. So you can, on your player board, there are asymmetrical powers that you can use, and that's part of the expansion. There's also builders that give you a little extra power as moving people to the new world for the capital buildings. Lots and lots of cool stuff here. It helps that the components are so awesome, too, because you get all the little miniature figures with the different sculpts and the metal coins, and people were really into it and kind of hovering around the board wondering what epic game we were playing. And they didn't believe me every time I told them it was going to be over in 30 minutes. They're like, oh, you guys are going to be there all day. It really didn't take that long. And that's awesome because often with these big deluxe editions, it's an all-day thing, which is fun, but you kind of want to be able to play it more often. This game's a little shorter. Hard part is that it's heavy. I don't know like how often I'm going to carry this to the store. But for me, it's a very strong play. It is pretty expensive. Um, if you have never played this game before, I don't recommend you go out and buy it. I track somebody down who has it, play it. Look for Age of Empires 3, the original edition, if you can find it, whether to play or to buy. It is the same game with not quite as fancy components, and that'll give you an idea of whether you like it or not. If you do really like it, though, and this game is very good, it is something you might want to look into as it, you know, price comes down and opportunities open up. I'm not exactly sure what the difference is between the Kickstarter Super Deluxe version and the one that's out there on Miniature Market or Cool Stuff or whatever, but I do know that the majority of what I mentioned is in, the, in that box, and with a couple of exceptions, possibly the Metal Coins. Great game, definitely worth a play. If you've played Age of Empires 3 before and you loved it, possibly a buy for you. If you end up playing it and love it, possibly a buy for you. Had a lot of fun with this one. All right, so the game that I got to the table this week is Dead Man's Draw. This is a 2015 release. But I didn't get to the table this week. I actually got it to the tablet and my iPhone. Now, Dead Man's Draw is actually a free app that you can pick up right now. And this is a press-your-luck game. Now, it has that pirate theme, but what makes this game more than just your average draw cards or roll dice until something kind of pops is that the characters that you're going to be facing, whether it's an AI or even your own character, can gain special abilities. Plus, as you're playing cards, what you're trying to do is obviously score the most amount of points possible. But if you do get two cards that match, then you bust and you lose that whole line of cards that you were flipping over to begin with. Now, there's some variations in the game that sometimes it matches with numbers or other different variations, but generally, you're looking at cards with special abilities that really help kind of mitigate that randomness that comes with a press-your-luck game. So, for example, there is an anchor card, and if you pull the anchor card, it's going to lock all the cards previously. So, even if you go ahead and really push your luck, you're still going to keep the other card. There's another fun card in this game, which is the cannon card, which actually lets you take out someone else's card. And there's also a chess and a key card. And if you happen to get both of those cards 
in that row that you're flipping over, you'll get bonus cards matching what you were able to flip over to begin with. Now, there's some really interesting combinations here in this game. For example, if you draw a sword card, it allows you to steal an opponent's card that they have already banked, put it into play, and let's say you pull in a cannon. So now you've taken away the points of that cannon because with the cards there... It's going to be, let's say, just generally between 2 and 7. So let's say you you pull in a cannon that's a 6, and then now you've taken 6 points away from them, but you blow away one of their map cards that was had a 5 value. So now you're really kind of really chaining those special abilities together. It's a light game. It's a fun game. It's actually replaced Niroshima Hex as my kind of go-to, you know, quick 5-minute kind of game. I really do enjoy it. There is some in-app purchases if you want to be able to pick up the special abilities quicker, if you want to be able to pick up the special skins and all these other little knickknacks. But honestly, I haven't put a dime into this game. Sorry, guys. But uh, I still enjoy this a great deal. And you don't need to have those in-app purchases in order to win. So I'm going to say for Dead Man's Draw, buy it, especially since it's free. And if you want to do some of those in-app purchases, I don't blame you, but uh, this game played so well on my phone, I'm actually thinking about picking up a physical copy. I've actually seen a physical copy, and the artwork is beautiful, just like it is on the app. The card quality is great, so pick it up either physically or on an app, and I think you're really going to enjoy it. And now, BGA's feature review. This week's feature, we're going to talk about the top 10 games that were fixed by their expansion. You picked up the base game, and you're enjoying it, but, you know, it's a little clunky. It's not running smooth, or maybe it just feels like it's missing something. And maybe after the first couple of plays, that game gets put way, way back in the closet to never see the light of day again. And then, out of nowhere, there's a light. And that light happens to be an expansion. And that expansion does something unique, which is fixing or adding to an already decent game and making it outstanding. So for this week's feature, we want to talk about those great expansions that transform the game and bring it up to another level. Now, we have all played these expansions, we enjoy these, and maybe... If you hear us talk about these expansions, and maybe you've already given up on the base game, we highly recommend checking these out. So, Anthony, let's get started. What do we have for our number 10 this week? Okay, so number 10 is an expansion for Boss Monster, the dungeon-building card game. I picked this up way back, right after it got off the Kickstarter and shipped, and I actually liked the base game, but very quickly got a little stale, and for a couple of reasons. First off, the first half of the game with the easier heroes is super dry. You're building your dungeon. It's fun the first couple times. You read the cards. Ha, ha, ha. It's funny. 8-bit. And then it's, it really starts to drag and beat. There's not a lot of decisions to be made. You're just trying to build it up. And it takes too long. The Tools of Hero Kind expansion, which is a 26-card mini expansion. It comes in this Game Boy-style box. It has 20 item cards in it. And the item cards are added to the hero and basically give them new powers, make them stronger, make them weaker, whatever they end up doing when they come into your dungeon. But the cool part is, is once you defeat that hero, you then get that item card as a reward, which you can use at various points to do certain things. 
So it adds yet one more element to the game where you can kind of mess with things, and it makes the heroes a little harder to beat early in the game and makes the entire game engaging, except not just the last 10, 20 minutes of it. The game doesn't end too quickly anymore, and you're engaged from the beginning. So if you've played Boss Monster a bunch and are finding it a little bit dry, then pick up Tools of Hero Kind, super small, very inexpensive, well worth it. So for our number nine, it's actually a base game that's not broken and not in the need of fixing, but Seven Wonders, for a lot of people, do does run dry or does have a couple of problems here and there, depending on who you talk to. Now, these expansions address those issues in a really great way. I'm cheating a little bit here because I'm throwing the three expansions for the Seven Wonders base set all together in one because depending on where you're coming from, you might personally feel like there's something missing from the game. So for Seven Wonders, first let me talk about Leaders. Now, Leaders is my absolute favorite expansion. It really does bring Seven Wonders up to the next level. Now, for me, the reason is I love deep strategy games. Now, Seven Wonders doesn't happen to be a deep strategy game, but by having leaders in the game, you have an initial drafting phase where you'll actually go through these leaders, and most of the time, these leaders have special abilities that allow you to build at a discount a certain science or culture or military card or help you with your gold or your victory points. And it really starts you down a path that is really highly enjoyable. Now, maybe if you're not after like deeper strategy, maybe you're looking for more take that and player interaction, then you should check out Cities. Now, Cities offers some interesting interaction because what some of the cards are going to do is actually tax other players and attack their gold income but also there are ways to copy different science and technology in order to boost up your own city without having to have those really powerful science cards and finally Babel. Babel is the newest expansion for seven wonders and sometimes players feel like they're not playing together because when you're playing seven wonders at least the base game you're really just building your own personal tableau and you're just keeping an eye on your neighbors but with Babel, you're building the tower of Babel, and when those pieces come into play it affects everybody but there's also the great works and when the great works come into play you all will be playing resources into those great works because if you don't and that great work doesn't happen. People who don't help are going to take a penalty. And that's really fun. It really does bring Seven Wonders from a quasi-board game into a true board game. So check out those three expansions. All right. So number eight is probably, at least to me, one of the best expansions ever for a board game. And at least in the modern era of board games. But it's also one that adds... It's, I think, some very needed elements to a very popular and very good game, one that I happen to own, and that's Scoundrels of Skullport for Lords of Waterdeep. This is actually two expansions that come in the box, and you can play them as modules, either together or separately. Uh, the first of those, the Undermountain module, is it's one of those modules that adds almost utility additions to the game. So you can have a sixth player 
join in with the uh, the gray faction. Well, at the same time, you're going to add an additional board that has three additional actions plus new lords and some other buildings. And really, this just opens it up so that there's more interesting decisions to be made on the board, and you don't get stuck in those situations where you end up having to go somewhere you don't want to multiple times over, or you can't do anything. That's one of the worst things that can happen in a worker placement game is you can't do anything with that last worker. This kind of resolves that a little bit and opens it up for six players. The really interesting part of Scoundrels or Skullport, whoever, is the Skullport module. This adds an entirely new resource to the game, Corruption. And this is actually a resource that I've started to see in a lot of other games lately, where if you take certain actions that are extremely powerful, you kind of gain these negative tokens that can kind of come back to haunt you. And the corruption tokens are going to be worth negative victory points at the end of the game. And the more corruption that's taken from this board by everybody, the more negative points they're worth. So it's not just how many you have, it's how many everybody has will determine the value of those. And then it's how many you have. Very, very interesting, extremely powerful actions. And it really adds a lot of strategy to the game because when you go for that corruption, when you take those actions is really going to determine how well you do in this game. It's not just a matter of looking for the one or two best options on the board and going for it. It's deciding when to make a power move and kind of weighing the plus and the minus of it at the same time. Love, love, love this expansion. Can't recommend playing without it, honestly, unless you're teaching brand new people how to play a worker placement game. Awesome, awesome expansion. Adds some much-needed strategy and depth to an already good game. Our number seven is Bruges, the city on design. Now, this expansion is really interesting. You'll hear this many times. This expansion isn't a complete expansion. It's actually a number of different modules that you can add to the game. Now, in this expansion, you're going to get some additional cards that you can play into the main deck that allows you to bring new workers, merchants, and different people back into the city of Bruges in order to make it more prestigious, and raise your reputation. Now, that's okay, and that's a good module, these 39 new person cards, especially the travelers who bring in some different effects. But what I really want to talk about is the ships, because the ships add so much to this game, and it really does balance the game out really well, because now the base game is really about raising your reputation for victory points, Avoiding all the bad stuff that happens for victory points. And putting people in these houses to score victory points. It's a Feld game. You you get where I'm going with this. But building of the canals was usually something that was an afterthought. Even though it was scoring you victory points for that statue that you were going to be able to build. It still was kind of weak and it was often not really taken seriously. Now, with the opportunity to build ships, now, there's an additional small board. Now, once again, this is another portion to the game. With the addition of the ships, each ship has a special ability. And when you build one of the sections of the canal and you pay a worker of that color, you'll be able to take that ship and be able to use that special ability. It really opens the game up big time. I highly recommend this expansion and i will never play without it all right so number six on the list this is a game that as soon as we played it we said this needs an expansion this was in our review actually originally where we said it's all right it's worth the play but we're not going to play it a whole lot more because it needs expansions and we knew the expansions were coming so we waited for them and that's machi koro 
Um, Machi Koro is, has two expansions out, I believe now, uh, Harbor and then the Millionaire's Row. And the main issue with this game is that it's preset in advance what you can buy and how you buy it. So you can kind of solve it. You know, you, you look at it, you play the game. I think we played it two or three times initially the first time we sat through it. And we kind of felt like we knew what the best decisions to make were, which is not what you want out of a strategy game. You want there to be a strategy, <laughs> not a solution. The expansions just immediately offer more opportunities. You have more of a randomized setup. You have different mechanics in terms of how the cards come out. Uh, the game itself is the same. You're, you're playing the game similar. The cards each have different powers. You're going to roll the dice in the same, same ways and build up kind of your tableau. But how the cards come out, which ones are available, how they're available to each player does vary from game to game because of the way it's grown and because there are more options now in the box. Honestly, when this game came over, it probably should have come with at least the first expansion as part of the base game. And if they repackage it in the future, because I know they released the tin that came with, I think, both of these expansions where you could get the deluxe edition. That's really just how you should package the game because it's not... It doesn't have a lot of replayability until you add at least the Harbor expansion, and then it becomes a decent game, and with Millionaire's Row, it becomes a good game. That's Machi Koro. If you have it and you're not really fond of it, consider picking up one of those two expansions. They're relatively inexpensive, and they do add a lot of depth to the game. So for our number five expansion, I want to talk about Revolution Anarchy, and the Revolution does have an exclamation point. Now, you may remember from our previous episodes that Revolution is the game that myself, Anthony, and Drew kind of met for the very first time in the first game that we actually got to play together. Well, when you play Revolution, it's a fine game, but it comes with a very small action board. And the actual area that you can play on, because this is an area majority game, is missing something. There's actually this really kind of odd, empty spot in the middle of the board that really nothing happens. But it turns out there's actually two expansions that add a board right to the middle of the game. Now, the first expansion is the Palace, and that basically adds a Palace board. And that's a fine expansion, and a lot of people do like that, and it's going to add some more options to your action board that you're able to bid on. But the expansion that I think that really kind of breaks this game open is the Anarchy expansion, because it's going to add the Garden which when you place one of your wooden tokens there and at the end of the game, it's going to count as 10 support at the end of the game. But that's not it. There's also an asylum and a jail. And each of those areas are worth minus 30 support. So throughout the game, what you really want to do is throw your other competitors into those areas. And if they end up having the majority, they're going to take some major losses. This really adds a different element of gameplay to Revolution, and it really does kind of fit with that kind of take that element. And I really do enjoy that, especially when you could add the Anarchist to this game. You have the Governor. It just adds so much more that I don't even play with the base game anymore. I'm always playing with Anarchy or the Palace, but Anarchy more than the other one. All right, so number four is actually the second expansion for a very large game. And it's an interesting one because this very large game, if you play it without any expansions, feels like it's missing something. Extremely good, but it does feel like it's missing something. And I know that was the consensus when we reviewed it a year and a half ago. And that's Civilization, the board game uh, from Fantasy Flight. The game itself is 
has a lot of things going on. There's a lot of different ways you can score points through economy or culture or science or military. But it's a little skewed, and it feels a little skewed as you're playing towards certain aspects. And one of the major problems with it is that the units don't have separate strength and health. So if you're not able to act just outright defeat the units you're fighting, then they heal up or whatever you want to you know thematically call it for the next round, and they don't go anywhere. That's a problem just because it makes you feel like you're not doing anything with those actions. Because they now have strength and health values that are separated, they can take wounds, and it really adds a lot more strategy to the way the military works. So damaging them can still have an effect on future turns, and it really kind of changes how you approach the military units and how you build it up and tackle that aspect of the game. The other thing it adds is the social policies, things like rationalism and organized religion. They offer a few different options, new bonuses, some really important long-term planning aspects. And this as a city action is very interesting, adds a lot to the game. This is the second expansion, the first expansion, and it does offer new mechanics, but they're not things that really address those two major issues of the game. And in this one, you're also going to get six new civilizations, Aztecs, English, French, Japanese, Mongol, Zulu, plus a ton of new components, really builds out the game a lot. But if you're looking for an expansion that fixes kind of that meh feeling you had if you played Civilization the board game, Wisdom and Warfare is the one you're looking for. So for our number three expansion, we're going to talk about King of Tokyo Power Up. Now, if you play King of Tokyo, you know it's a basic Yahtzee mechanic where monsters are fighting out for dominance in Tokyo. But basically, the monsters really don't matter. They're just those little cardboard cutouts, and they don't have any special powers of their own. But what power-up they do... Now, you know how in that game it's all about those Yahtzee kind of rolls, and when you get hearts and you're fully healed up already, the hearts are really the last thing you want to see? Well, with the power-up expansion, if you roll hearts and you get three of them, you'll be able to flip over one of your personal evolution cards. Now, this is really what makes King of Tokyo excellent, because the cards in the game, whether they're a permanent or temporary evolution, it's very thematic. So you're going to find cards here that are funny, thematic, cute, fun, but also really add some different mechanics to the game. Not to mention the fact that it comes with Pandakai, this giant panda that's one of our favorite characters, especially our good friend Sherry. So if you're going to play King of Tokyo, you got to play with the power-up expansion. It really just adds so much more to the game, and I'm really looking forward to seeing a power-up expansion for King of New York. Moving on to number two, we have one that, again, is a must if you own the base game for two reasons. And one of them is a little superficial, but it's totally legit. And that is Ticket to Ride 1910. So the superficial version that is totally legit is the card size. The original version of Ticket to Ride comes with those teeny tiny micro little cards that my giant ham-fisted hands can't hold. And I have to kind of hold... It's just awkward looking. My son loves them, but he's four. So there you go. The new cards are normal size cards. They're American Standard cards, and they replace all of those original cards, which is just so important. If you're going to play this game even remotely regularly, you need the bigger cards. That's not, it doesn't change how the game is played, but it's, again, it's, it's something that I'm very happy that they added to the game. The other thing it adds, though, and this is 
important is that it adds a lot of new destination tickets. So you have the 1910 destination tickets will offer a lot of different variety and different routes that weren't in the original game. So kind of opens up the middle of the map a little bit more and gives you more options. There are also different ways to play the game. So there's the big cities mode where you can mix together some of the old uh, destination cards and the new ones. There is the mystery train expansion cards. There's four of those from the out of print expansion that add some additional items there as well, as well as the longest route bonus card and the Globetrotter bonus card that are added back in here too with the larger versions. So it really just adds a lot of new ways to set goals for the end of the game that are better balanced and offer just more options uh, for the table. Combined with those larger cards, it's kind of a must-have, and it's only 10 or $15. So if you've already paid for Ticket to Ride, this is a no-brainer. At this point, I'm... S- not surprised necessarily, but I wish they would just pack it in with the base game. But again, it's not that expensive, so you might as well just pick it up. If you're going to get the regular base game, get this expansion. All right, so for our number one game that was fixed by an expansion is Kingsburg to Forge a Realm. Now, I hear this a lot from people that they played the base game of Kingsburg and it was like, it's all right, it's dice rolling and you allocate the dice to certain spots and you get some materials and you're able to build on your board but it's eh, it's a kind of a mad game and usually alien frontiers kind of rolls over it but that's because most people have not played the expansion to forge a realm is an essential expansion for kingsburg now let me tell you why now we already talked about bruges that had those four different modules kingsburg to forge a realm comes with five modules now some of those modules are a little bit better than others, and you don't have to play with all of them, but they really do fix the game greatly. Now, first off, there's going to be 20 character cards that have special abilities. Now, what you can do is either draft these cards or give them out randomly or even let people pick one of these special character cards. They're a little kind of cartoony, but... You know, they kind of fit with the theme, and it's going to give you a special ability that's going to help you throughout. I like this module, but it's not essential to the game. There's another module that has 20 event cards. Now, we talked about this recently, where there are these cards that kind of come into a game, and they kind of shake things up. Well, that's true here, because these event cards are going to kind of add things, take things away. And surprisingly, this module actually has two cards that says the king is sick. And the rules for the game is, if two of these cards come out, the king dies, the game ends automatically. And it was funny, we actually played a game where both cards came out pretty early in the game, and we were just shocked by it. But the game came to an end, and there was a winner. So I would say you can play with these event cards if you really want to mix things up. But let's talk about some of the other expansions. There are seven alternate rows of buildings. Now, if you played the base game, you know that you're going to get this player sheet that's going to have a whole number of different building rows that you can build. These alternate rows are actually strips that you can actually draft or maybe you want to just choose them. And you can alter your board so that everyone has a different building board. This is really great. Now, that's not it because with this expansion, I feel comes with an essential module that is bigger player boards. You actually are going to get two extra rows of buildings. So 
once you get the expansion, get rid of the old boards, bring these new boards in. They're bigger. They'll offer more opportunities. Whether or not you play with the alternate rows, you definitely want to play with the bigger boards. It just adds so much more gameplay. And then finally, what they also offer is a way to play with the winter reinforcements. Now, if you played the base game, you may know that you're going to roll dice at the end. That's going to show what soldiers you're going to get on behalf of the king. But in this module, instead of rolling the dice, you're actually going to be given tokens. There's going to be a 0, a 1, 1, 2, 3, and 4 at the setup of the game. Now, you make a decision secretly which token you're going to play based upon how strong you think that the enemy might be at that end of that winter stage. So what you can do is manage your resources in such a way that you're able to keep one of those tokens at the end of the game that's actually going to score you victory points. So if you play really well, maybe you can hold on to that four, and that's four extra victory points, which does come very handy in this game. Kingsburg's to Forge a Realm is an outstanding expansion, and I really do hope someday that it gets packaged in with the base game, because I think there's a lot of people out there who played the base game and have totally given up on it, and this expansion does so many good things for the game. It is our number one. Game fixed by an expansion. And now, our final round. Well, guys, I'm back from LARPing. I survived. Hid behind a blog while the rest of my tribe was slaughtered. But, you know, that was my character anyway. I'm a coward. <laughs> I never pretended to be brave. Jeez. You know, that's all right. I like joining a new tribe every week anyway, because I know my old tribe isn't going to want me back. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> hey, I thought for final round, we could talk about LARPing, something new we haven't discussed yet. The thing I found fascinating about that Vice documentary was how LARPing is used to teach everyday things or how it's involved in everyday activities like public transportation. And I thought, well, what if we could create a LARP that ties in a fantasy theme with a mundane everyday activity? Now, for example, I was thinking of something that, that used to happen every four years, but now it happens every day, and that's a political campaign. Every day. So what if you, they LARPed their political campaigns? So the, the, the campaigners, the, the candidates would uh, create their tribe name, they would drop a uniform and colors, and then they all go out to a, a large field assemble in battle formation, and begin to hurl insults at each other, at candidates. Now, the teams that are losing in the verbal war could pick up globs of mud and sling them at each other. See, they could, they could play LARP, and they could have their presidential campaign all at the same time. Anthony, what would you like to LARP? For me, I don't know. I, I'm trying to think of the most mundane task in my life. Uh, maybe grocery shopping. I always feel like, especially because I have the kids with me, I'm like, raiding a castle just trying to get in there and out there as fast as i can and just get the things i need without having to fight people <laughs> on any given aisle oh my gosh trying to drag two children down an aisle and there's like three other people standing there who don't want to move is well it feels like a moba like i'm just trying to get down the stupid lane and take out the <laughs> take out the tower so yeah grocery shopping let's go with that i get a i could use an axe in a grocery store <laughs> raiding the castle <laughs> the pantry that's cool chris how about you what's your larp well after talking about fog of love i've been thinking about larping in the dating scene so you're going out there you're dating and maybe you hit a dance club and 
there is a group of people that you want to talk to and there's someone special that you really want to get to know, but there is a whole tribe full of people that are blocking your way. So maybe you need to run up there with your tank to kind of take out some of those people and maybe be able to kind of like pull them out of the way. And then, you know, as you're talking to that person and maybe it's not going well and you're taking some damage, you call your cleric in to heal you so that you can get through that battle. And, you know, hopefully you'll be able to win the day and save the princess. So, yeah, I'm going to totally LARP the dating scene. So your wingman is the cleric then. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Well, ladies love a knight in shining armor, so why not? Oh, the damsel in distress, too. (laughs) Perfect. Well, that is our final round for this week. So that's everything for this week. Please keep in contact with us on Facebook, Twitter, BoardGamersAnonymous.com. Don't forget to rate us on iTunes and Stitcher. And if you're able to, please take a look at our Patreon account. The more that you back us, the more great gamers we can bring to the table. Until next time, this is Chris. This is Anthony. And this is Drew. And we will expand our table so that you can join us and make everything even better. <laughs>